What a great time of worship. What a great way as we uh, begin our year. Some of you were maybe not able to be here last week. I was also traveling, and so I just want to affirm you've made a great decision to begin the year together in worship and to be reminded of just uh, where we stand before God. We stand before a holy God, and uh, just He transforms us. He changes us when we open our hearts, when we are in His presence. We are in a new series to begin the new year called Better Decisions fewer regrets. I'm sure as you think through your life, there are times where you wish you have made a better decision, something that, that changed either the course of your life or is now something you look back on, you go, man, I wish I could have handled that differently. We're looking at this series, and it's based on a series by the book uh, of the same name, Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets by Andy Stanley. Some great wisdom in that book and such a great way that I believe and we believe is uh, for us to start this year. So that we can for, uh, look ahead and say, okay, God, what do you have for me? When I think about our decisions, when I think about choices, each decision, major decisions and even our smaller decisions, they send us in a certain direction, in a certain path. You ever play those uh, or read those choose-your-own-adventure books? Right? Like you come to a point, you come to a decision point, you say, do I want to do this or that? Do I want the story to go this direction or that direction? And you make a decision, all of a sudden your story heads in that direction. And that's how it is in our life. And so the decisions we make, the choices we make, they have a huge impact on our life. I'm not telling you anything you don't know already. But yet we look back and we say, man, we, none of us have made, as, the, as that lead in video says, a bad decision on purpose. None of us say, you know, I purposely want to do this to ruin my life or to set me in a bad path. But somehow we end up making poor decisions. So how can we make better decisions? How can we make better choices? And so this year, we want to begin the year starting and focused in on being wise and, and wisdom. So uh, we mentioned the journals earlier. I hope you have picked up one of these journals. Uh, it says spring, and my daughter was like, spring? Actually, our journal actually says winter slash spring. The picture only said spring. But uh, these are good through, until Easter. And every day there's a prompt for getting into God's Word. And starting in January, uh, we're doing one chapter of Proverbs every day. And so today, what's today, the 8th? Um, we should be on Proverbs chapter 8. So I read Proverbs chapter 8. And, and one chapter a day gets us grounded in God's Word and pulls something from that. It's a great habit to begin with. And these Proverbs help us to really look at how do we make better decisions. And so much of Proverbs says, like, don't do this, but do this instead. If you follow this path, it's wise. This path is foolish. So we want to make good decisions. And we began last week looking at this, uh, this, this series with the first question. And Noah, where's Noah? Noah did a great job last week, right, uh, beginning us if you got to be here or you were online. And we started with the integrity question. The integrity question, which is, am I being honest with myself. Really? <laughs> you got to add that last part. Am I being honest with myself? Really? And the importance of this is just saying, look, when we make decisions in life, if we're not honest with ourselves, it's so easy to cheat ourselves, to lie to ourselves, to convince ourselves, to rationalize the choices we've, we've made. And that doesn't help us in any way lead to better decisions going forward. So this honesty with myself, what's motivating me? Why am I dating that guy? Why did I marry her? Why am I buying this car? Why did I have to buy this brand name, you know, article of clothing? What is it? What's my motivation? Who am I trying to please? What are my desires? What does God have for me? So we looked at that, and, 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 and again, Noah did a great job last week, and so thankful for that beginning. Um, he said, you know, he, he only goes like 20 minutes or so, so I figured I can take his extra time, and we can average it together, and, uh, you know, we'll end up somewhere in a good, good spot today. <laughs> 
But today I want to look at the second question. We're going to look at the integrity, the, the legacy question, the legacy question. And here's the question. What story do I want to tell? What story do I want to tell with my life? Think about that. Think about your life. Your life as a story. What story do you want to tell with that? It's a new year, and we're beginning this year, and it's like this, this blank page in front of us. What is 2023 going to hold? Fast forward a year, and we're sitting here, and let's say now it's, you know, it's January 2024, and we look back and we say, what did 2023 hold? What did you write? What did you, what did you come up with? How did the story unfold in that year? Did you make good decisions, decisions that led you in a place to, make, to write a better story? Or are there things that you've regretted? Now, I, I journal periodically and, and try every year to, to yeah, some, some years I do it more than others, but I always journal a little bit. And what I realize is when I journal on those days that I write, or if you're writing on that day, it's that day. It's the decisions you're making. It's the things you're feeling, the things you're processing. But it's kind of in the moment. It just feels like here's a snapshot of where I am today. But you know what's interesting? You take that same journal and you go back to one that you wrote a year ago. Or I'm at the end of the year and I read some of my entries from the previous year. And what happens? Those moments all of a sudden now become the story. And what we don't think about in the moment is right now, today, you're writing a story. The fact that you came to church is part of your decision, part of your story. The fact that you're tuning in online, you're saying, I want to make this a priority. You're beginning to write your story in a certain way. And what we don't realize is in the moment, we are crafting a larger story. We are writing it in a different way. And I think back on this past year, how would things have gone different? What are some things that I did or didn't do? And, and how would the story have unfolded in a different way? Some stories that we created. One of the great stories in our family of this last year was a bucket list item that we'd been saving for for several years. Um, Shannon and I have always wanted to take our family to Europe and to go back to some of my, my roots and where I was born and, and experience the places uh, where I've lived and where we got engaged and, and just to travel and experience the part that's been a big part of our lives. And so we were able to do that this last summer, and, and it took us to, to write that story. We had to make decisions to save money, to prepare, to plan, and then to spend way more money than we ever wanted to spend. But it made for a great story, and it's going to be part of our story for the rest of our lives. But we could have made the decision to say, no, that's not how we want to do that. We want to spend the money in a different way or, or whatever, and, and it would have been a different story. Or I think about, I had an opportunity in, in uh, December that I actually got to speak at a conference for pastor's kids that were like teenagers and, and young adults in Uganda. <laughs> now, I didn't go to Uganda. I, was a, I spoke online, and so we set up the technology to, to you know, do, basically do a Zoom call, and there were you know, a couple hundred kids there, and on an early morning, I was here at the church and trying to broadcast through and speak to this group, and we had technological issues, and we had challenges, and would, the feed would break down, and then finally I had a, a run of time where I could, could speak and do that. And I didn't know in the beginning, should I take that opportunity? And then when it happened, I was like, I don't know if that came across, and their projector didn't work, and they had a laptop, and so I think I was just on a phone in front of a group of, uh, of, of kids there, and... And I thought, I don't, I don't know, um, but God use it, however. And I got an email after that, um, after that session from the, the pastor that was coordinating, and he said, 10 of these young adults gave their life to Christ, uh, committed their lives to Christ in, in that session. And I think, man, how awesome. Yeah, how, how, how cool. And I think about the, the decision, the choice. Do I want to do that? Should I invest time in that? Is that really going to work? Our decisions have an impact. And you look back on the year and say, 
how did you make those decisions? I think about us for a church, and I look at this, uh, the Renew initiative that we um, have just come through and are now in for the next three years, and we'll be sharing more about that in the coming, uh, in the coming weeks as we get going with that. And if you're newer, newer, it's, it's an initiative where we tried to raise uh, $870,000 over the next three years for six phases of renovations and renewal, both inside and outside the church. And we'd been planning it for, for a, uh, basically a couple years behind the scenes, preparing for that. And it really came down, even this last uh, summer before pulling the trigger, going, is this really the time? Should we do that? I mean, you know, we, we hear about inflation, and we experience it, and we're seeing it, and the stock market's down, and, and the economy's going where it's going. Is this really the time? Should we do it? And, we, and there was that, that questioning about that. And how we make those decisions has an impact. And we decided, no, we're believing for it. We're going for it. This is what God has placed on our hearts. And for the, to see the church, to see you, to see us together respond in such an amazing way to, to just about reach that total and the pledges, to already have over $300,000 committed that we, we're going to get going with phase one and two here in just the uh, couple, next couple of weeks and months, uh, is so exciting. And I think about had, you, had we not made that decision as a church and as in leadership, the future would look different. But now it's guiding us in a certain direction. So our story is shaped one decision, one moment at a time. And what we realize is our decisions become part of other people's story as well. What we decide impacts others. So what story do you want to write? Do you want to write a story where you can be the hero, where you can feel like confident and positive to share about choices you've made? Are you the villain in someone else's story? Have you made the kind of decisions that you want your kids to tell, your grandkids to tell? Or are you writing the kind of story that, that you hope gets buried, that you never want anyone to see, and that when it's time for your funeral, they have a hard time talking about things in your life? What story are you writing? That's so critical. I was reminded of that this week on, on these decisions. I'm sure we've all heard that there's some crazy stuff going on in Congress this, this, this past week and trying to determine the Speaker of the House. But one of the newly elected representatives from, from Long Island, his name is, uh, was it George Santos? I'm sure you've heard his story. Um, newly elected. This should be one of the most exciting things in his life. And his family's life, I mean, he, he's got, you know, he went through the battle of elections and all that that takes, and now he gets to represent, you know, his people in Congress, and he gets to be sworn into that, but there's a blemish there, isn't there? There's a stain there because he lied about his, his own resume, where he went to school, and jobs that he's held, and things that, you know, people that he, he worked with, and, and, and then there was this shot, I don't know if you saw it on the news, but he's just kind of sitting by himself, and he's like, everyone's like keeping his distance from him, and I just thought, how sad, how sad, but what, and, and now you rewind the clock and go back to that place in his story where he had a decision to make. What do I put down? What do I write on this resume? What, wouldn't it have been different if he would have been sitting in that place and just owned up to the story that he had and to come through that? But it's easy to see in others. But how have we done that? How have we cheated ourselves? How do we do things that we regret later in our story? How do you determine that path? How do you handle job loss? Do you play the victim? Or do you become the victor? How you live that out changes the trajectory of your life. Some people never recover from some damaging situations in their life. Others begin to forge a new path. It's up to you on the story, on, on the decisions that you make. How do you handle those times? And in the moment, when we make decisions, it's always in the moment, right? We can't, it's hard to make a future decision. You can plan for it. But ultimately, you can only make a decision in the present time. And in the present time, the thing that often clouds our ability to make good decisions is our emotions. 
Now, emotions are good. Emotions are God-given. They help us feel deeply, and we need to lean into those. But many times, we can't think about the long-term implications because our current appetites, our wants, our desires, the things in the now, the, the, the flesh, the desires, the longings are all there, and they have the strong pressure that, that we want to please ourselves. We want to just eat that right now because it feels good. We want to buy that because we just feel like we need it. And, and, and we latch on to things. And we don't think about what's the implication in the long term for this decision that I'm making. Now, there's two terms that, that uh, people talk about in, in this regard that help us understand this. One of them is focalism. The term focalism means hyper-focusing on one thing to the exclusion of other things. And the other one is anchoring, relying on initial information and then the emotions that are elicited from that. And what it's saying is there, many times we come to a point of decision and we latch on to that. You know, it, it, you think about in terms of love, you know, having rose-colored glasses, right? All of a sudden, you, you, you fall in love with someone, and you don't see anything else. The rest of the world disappears. It's all about this one person and this situation, and, 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 and you can't break from that. Or maybe if you've been in, the, in a dealership, and there's a new car or maybe a used car, and, and all of a sudden, you, you latch on to this, this, one, this one car, and, you, and, and what happens in that moment, emotions get attached, and sometimes those first feelings are hard to overcome by better information, by more rational information, by what other people are saying, and you don't think about the long-term consequences. Oh, I can afford the car payment for this month, but can you afford it over the next 60 months, right? And, oh, I'm, I, I, I'm drawn to this person, but have you really thought through those things? And so we, we come to these decision points, and what we need to learn to do is to press pause. When the pressure is high, when the emotions are high, we actually should step back in those moments and say, what do I need to do here? What is the story I want to write? How is this going to play out in the long term? And ultimately, we're asking, what story do I want to tell? Today, I want to look at a scripture, a story that is one of the most uh, well-documented stories in the Bible. It's, uh, it follows the journey of an, an amazing young man, a Hebrew teenager that lived in 1850 B.C. So about 4,000 years uh, ago, we're going to look at a story of a, of a young man who, who wrote a, an incredible story. But in the moment, did he really realize what he was doing and what story he was writing? We look at the, the story of Joseph. Joseph had 10 older brothers. And, um, and, and he was a son of, to, to Jacob. And we read the story in Genesis, and, and, and the story is, has more details and is longer than we can cover here just in one, in one session. But I want to draw some highlights out. He's born to Jacob, and his father Jacob had all these other sons, and he's born to Jacob in Jacob's old age. And uh, Joseph has a different mom than the other brothers, and, and he becomes known as, as Jacob's favorite. It's not a good thing when parents have a favorite, right? That causes problems. That causes issues. And so, um, you know, he's, he's going out to see his brothers. He would bring supplies to his brothers. But he would go, and he'd, he'd go out wearing this, this beautiful coat that Jacob gave only to Joseph because he was his favorite son. And so the brothers began to develop this jealousy. They began to develop this, this hatred for Joseph. And as he started coming, they were already like going, ah, oh, here comes Joseph. Here comes that dreamer. Here comes that guy who thinks he's all that in a bag of chips and thinks one day we're going to go, bow down to him. And he, he was immature and shared some things with him. But, but this time, as he's going, he's going to them as a teenager. And he's bringing stuff to them. He's, he's about 17 at the time. And they begin to plot to kill him. The brother's like, we're done. We're done with Joseph. We, we, we're going to get rid of him. And I don't know what led them you know, to go to that extreme and if there was a mob mentality in that between the brothers, but that's the plan that they had to get rid of him. And um, 
And so as they're deciding what to do with him, they throw him in this pit, the cistern, and they're, they're, they're figuring out how to, how to kill him. Now, one of his older brothers, Reuben, decides, you know what, I don't think this is a good idea. And he's actually thinking about how he can save Joseph from this. And, uh, and, and before he, Reuben even gets back, the next morning he realizes Joseph is gone. Joseph had been sold to some traveling, um, you know, caravan of, of, of traders that were heading through the area from Canaan where they lived and into neighboring Egypt. And, and they sold Joseph for a buck. They sold him for not a literal dollar, but to make some money. And so in this moment, now they got rid of Joseph, and now they had to fabricate the story for Jacob, for their father, as they came back. So they took his, his coat. They didn't sell him with his coat. They tore it to shreds. They put blood on it, and they came back to Jacob and said, oh, we don't know what happened. We found this, and we, we think Joseph, Joseph died. He was attacked by a wild animal, and, and Jacob is just distraught in this moment. But just pause the story there for a moment. And we think about the story and, and this idea of writing a story and how it plays out in our life. In that moment... All of his brothers became liars for life. In that moment, they, they made a decision that they were now going to have to hide this and bury this for the rest of their lives. They lied to their father. They had to lie to others, to their other relatives, and they had to carry this with them their entire life, this kind of story. That was a decision that they made in that moment. Now, they didn't kill him, thankfully, but they sold him off never to see him again. We've made some decisions. I'm sure some of us have stories. Maybe all of us have stories that, that we hope never see the light of day. And we go back and we, what made us make those decisions? Why are we not proud to share some parts of our lives at this point? How can we avoid that going forward? The brothers have to deal with that. Joseph, on the other hand, now ends up in Egypt. And he ends up on the trading block for slaves. And, and there he is and he, he, he gets identified as he's a strong man, he's a good-looking young man, he's, he's, uh, he's able-bodied, and Potiphar brings him into his home. Potiphar is a, is a high-ranking official, and he brings him into his home as a slave. And so now you think about Joseph, how would you feel as a 17-year-old being completely betrayed by your family? I've got a 17-year-old daughter. If your sister sold you into slavery, <laughs> into, another, <laughs> into another country, they lied to us about your, 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 your death. I mean, how would that feel? I mean, put it into that context. What would you do? And now you're serving in someone else's his home as a, as a slave. And you go, this is not the life I signed up for. And Joseph was a faithful young man. He was devout and must be asking, God, how could you be doing this? But he had a choice to make. What would he do in that moment? How would he live out his days? And he began to devote himself to, to being the best slave that he could, the best servant that he could, to just, just, just honoring God in that way, honoring his, his earthly master in that way. And, and what we read in, in Scripture is, uh, is Genesis 39, verse 6, it says, So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. And so we see this amazing thing that, 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 that Joseph did is, is he, he rose through the ranks. And even in that position, God honored him. And life was at least was looking up within the context that, that was not favorable. But that showed Joseph's character and who he was. Well, then, it doesn't take long. The verse after that actually even continues that same verse. says, Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. Leading to the next verse. <laughs> and Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. He's in a situation that seems like a no-win situation. What do you do in that moment? How do you handle that? What does he do? Because if he, if he gives in... 
He's being unfaithful to his God, to his vows, to his commitment, to his master. But she's the one in charge. She's the master's wife. If he, if he disobeys, he disobeys his master and there's punishment. But if he sleeps with her they, they, and, and Potiphar finds out, there's death. It's a no-win situation. How does he handle that? And, and when we think about it, what we see in this verse, we see the veil torn back, pulled back to, to see his thoughts, to see what was he thinking in that moment. The next verse says, but Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. Now, I don't know if Joseph was thinking, uh, what story will someone, you know, will I tell someday? But in that moment, he was smart enough to step back and wise enough to step back in that moment and say, I can't do this because of my faith, because of honoring my, my master, because of your role as his wife and, and, and relationship with him. I can't do this. I'm not going to make that decision. And so he pulled away. Genesis 39.10, and kept going. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but, refu- but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. He's actually avoiding being in that situation. The next verse says, One day, however, no, when no one, else was around, when she, no one else was around, when he went to do his work, she came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, Come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. So he makes this decision. No win situation, but he runs away. He stays faithful. He stays true to his God, to his commitments, to his covenants. And she claims that he raped her. And all of a sudden now he gets punished. Now he gets thrown. Potiphar finds out about this and he gets thrown in prison. Thankfully, his life wasn't taken. Potiphar probably just still um, honored him in that way and respected him to say, at least I'm not, maybe he didn't even trust his wife in that. I don't know. But But he had him thrown into prison. And you think about that story, you think, what is, the, what is the value in the story? What, what's happening in Joseph's life from slave to prison? And then we read this, this, this peculiar line, and it's several times throughout the story in Genesis 39, 21. The Lord was with Joseph. And you look at that and you say, what? This does not sound like a story that the Lord was with Joseph. If the Lord was with Joseph, wouldn't he have kept him from being sold off into slavery? Would he, wouldn't he have kept him from the situation with, with Potiphar's wife? How, how can this be? This, But what we realize is the story isn't over yet. The story is still being written, and and we have the benefit of history and time to read a story and not just live it in real time, but to now see how does this unfold. So now Joseph is in in prison. Now this could be another step where he just says, you know, forget it. I'm done. This this is pointless. I'm stuck here in in this dungeon in the dark. He's not thinking about maybe what story is being written. He's not thinking that that 4,000 years from now people are going to be reading about this, talking about this, teaching about it you know, preserved for us in Scripture. But he's faithful, and he works hard. We read in Genesis 39, 22, it says, Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. And so what we're seeing is a story building in the shadows. You might be in a place, you might be in a time in your life where you feel like nobody sees, nobody knows, you're not in a place of honor, you know, you're just slaving away at some job, or you're being faithful in what God's called you to do, and you wonder, is this ever going to lead to anything? Joseph didn't know where this would go, and the years passed, one year after another, after another, after another. He's six years into prison, and he meets a couple of new prisoners. Pharaoh got, uh, 
got upset with his cupbearer and with his baker, and he throws them into prison. I don't know what they served him. Must have been some pretty bad food or some bad drink. Uh, but they, were, they went to prison, and they were there in prison. And, um, and while they were there in prison, they had, uh, they had these dreams. And Joseph had been interpreting dreams, and God had given him um, just insight into what dreams mean. And so he hears about these dreams and has the opportunity to interpret the dreams for this cupbearer and, and this baker. And for one, it was good news, and for another one, it was bad news. For one, it was, you're going to be put to death. And for the other one, for the cupbearer, it was, you're going to be restored to your previous position. And just as they dreamt, and just as Joseph interpreted, so it happened. One went to his death, and the cupbearer was restored back to the position as cupbearer. But before the cupbearer left, one thing that Joseph uh, said, to, said to the cupbearer, um, he, said, he said this. Um, where did I lose my spot here? Because I wasn't looking at my notes here. All right, there we go. Um, oh, never mind. I didn't have that verse. I got another one. <laughs> I don't have what the cupbearer said. But what Joseph told him, but what Joseph told him was, don't forget about me. You know, he said, here's my chance. If this guy's going to come back, because the cupbearer was a pretty high position. I mean, you had the, the, the trust. You had the ear of Pharaoh. You were in his presence. He said, don't, don't forget about me. Don't forget about me when you get back into that position. Remember me. Maybe there's a plan out. Maybe there's something that can help me. And then, um, as, as Andy Stanley says, the, the saddest scripture that he thinks, one of the saddest scriptures in, in all of scriptures, Genesis 40, 23, it says, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. So he's back. He's restored. But he, never, he forgot about Joseph. Life's back on track. Things are good. And you know what happened? The weeks passed. The months passed. The years passed, and two more years passed. And then something amazing happened in that moment. And what do you, but, but, but think about Joseph in that moment. He doesn't know, like we do, that something changes in the story. He doesn't know this could be forever and always, but he's being faithful. He's doing what God is asking of him in that space. But something changes. Pharaoh has a dream. And Pharaoh has a dream that nobody can interpret. And in that moment, the cupbearer remembers, ah, this guy named Joseph, back in prison, he once interpreted our dreams and, and, and was able to do that. And so Pharaoh immediately calls for Joseph. Joseph comes to him. He hears the dream and says, look, I, I, it's not that I can interpret dreams, but if, if God help me, uh, I'm going to try and, and, and interpret what, with the Lord's help what your dream means. And what he interprets the dream to mean, he says, well, you're going to have seven years of abundance in this land. You're, you're going to have bumper crops. Things are going to be great. The grain will, will be flowing. And then there are going to be seven years of drought, seven years of famine. And so that was the interpretation of the dream. But Joseph now takes a risk. He goes one step further. And, he said, and here, remember, he's a prisoner before Pharaoh. He's, and he's, he wants to make a suggestion. And he has an idea, and, he, and here's what he, he says to, to Pharaoh. In verse, uh, we read about it in verse uh, 33. Therefore, Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. And then he begins to lay out, okay, you need to put somebody in charge, and here's the plan. You've got to collect the grain, and you've got to bring it together, and you have people to manage that. And then when the seven years of drought come, here's how I would handle that. He, he shares this plan. Pharaoh is so impressed with him. And his advisors are impressed with him that Pharaoh makes the decision to put him in charge, second in command over everything in the land. Talk, talk about a mind-boggling transition. To literally go from, from nothing in prison to now being second in command, no one with more authority than Pharaoh. But he saw something in Joseph. He experienced something as he interpreted those dreams, as he shared about how he would do that. And just as it so happened, 
Joseph is now in that position. There's seven years of abundance. He begins to organize it in an amazing way and create places to bring and, and to collect and to gather the grain. And then the years of drought hit. And as the years of drought and famine hit, uh, you know, there's enough now in the land of Egypt to survive. He's been, he prepared well for it. He followed this plan from God. But now something else begins to unfold, and we think, wow, this is a great story. Joseph is back in command. But what about his brothers? What about his, his family? What, where does this lead? Well, the drought went beyond Egypt and went into neighboring Canaan and affected Joseph's brothers and his dad, who now had another son, Benjamin, as well. Uh, and, and now the brothers are sent, all except the youngest brothers, to go get grain from Egypt. And so as the brothers come, we see, there's a scene where they come before Joseph and they ask for grain. He recognizes them instantly. They're his brothers. But him in this new position, after years have passed and wearing all the, the royal and official garments that he had on, they didn't recognize him. And then a story I wish I could get into, but we would need another hour or so, but just read it in, in, in Genesis. He isn't, doesn't instantly reveal himself to his brothers. And he actually plays some games with them in some ways. I think he's, I think he's kind of tortured. What do I do? How do I handle this with, with my brothers? He sends them home with grain, but then plays kind of a trick on them by putting the money that they should have paid back in the top of the grain sacks so they feel like, oh, no, we're, we, we got caught stealing. We didn't pay for the grain. And all this kind of crazy stuff back and forth happens. And, and again, too much to get into this morning. But there comes a point after they've gone back and forth, the brothers come back again for a second round of getting grain and, and fulfilling some promises. And then they are in front of Joseph again. And you can just feel this turmoil. What do I do? How do I handle the situation? Do I get revenge? I mean, of all the times now, this is a moment where he holds authority, power. They're asking for help from him. He could have turned them away. And we read about this moment where he reveals himself to his brothers. He couldn't take it anymore. And he just begins to weep, and they are just surprised. They are stunned, and they probably wet themselves. I mean, it is... <laughs> to understand what we just did... Years ago, and now he is in this position and this authority. He tells them in, verse, uh, in Genesis 45, verse 4, he says, Please, come, come closer, he said to them. They were probably a little hesitant. So they came closer, and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. <laughs> but don't be upset, and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. It's hard to fathom this response. And I think God used the time that he was dealing with his brothers coming back and forth to really bring him to this place, but he realized there is a bigger story unfolding here. That there's more happening, that, that he was able to gain some perspectives. Uh, at this point, about 13 um, years had passed. He's, he's 30 years old now. And he's looking back and he's seeing, while there's this hardship, while there are these challenges, maybe there's something bigger going on, that now I'm in, I'm in a position actually to preserve your lives. And just like in our lives, maybe we don't see it in the moment, we don't see what's happening, we think it might be a dead end, we might think it's over, but God is writing a story if we're faithful and we understand God is with us. And we make the kind of decisions that, that again, Joseph didn't think, I can guarantee you didn't think that anybody was writing the story, that anybody was going to tell about the story when he was a slave, when he was sold into slavery, when he was in the prison. But, but God was writing a story through his life. And it was a beautiful story, and he was able to see that, and he was able to preserve his brother's lives. And we see that story coming full circle. And it's the story we're telling today because of the decisions that Joseph made. 
And what a beautiful story that is. What story do you want to tell with your life? It's not just asking this question, but it's making a decision. The decision is this. I will decide a story I'm proud to tell. As you look at this year, make a decision. I'm writing a story I want to be proud to tell. In those moments when nobody's looking, in those moments where you're faced with decisions, where, where you're wrestling through those emotions, what decision are you going to make? What story are you writing? I think we are reminded some things in the story as well, because some of you might be saying, ah, there's some pretty dark chapters in my past. I, what do I do? I can't go back and rewrite those things. I, I, I'm not proud of those things. Or maybe you're feeling older and go, I don't have much story left to write in my life, and I can't undo that, that history that's behind me. Here's what I want to say. With God... Bad chapters can be redeemed and new chapters written for a greater story. I mean, that's the hope that we have. That is so awesome is that, that bad chapters can be redeemed. This, this word of redeeming isn't just it's history, it's forgotten, and it's dead, but redeemed and restored that, that God uses some of those dark things in your past, some of those hidden stories, some of those dark moments, that he redeems them and he, he, and he sets you up on a new path. And you write a new story with the time and the years that you have left that, that he's giving you. It makes me think of, of the Old Testament and in Joel. There's this verse that God says, I will restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. They literally had years where locusts were eating their crops and where all the hard work, everything that they had invested was, was, was for nothing because these locusts came through and God made this promise, I will restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. What are these years the locusts has eaten? Pastor Colin Smith said these are the, the fruitless years. That the years the locusts have eaten, maybe you've had some years where you have just invested yourself year after year, time after time. You've poured yourself into a relationship. You've poured yourself into a job. You've poured yourself into a project, to starting a new company, to, to side gigging. I don't know what you do. You poured yourself in, and in the end, it feels fruitless and empty. There's nothing there. God can restore and redeem those years that are stolen. Or loveless years, years where, 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 where you have gone through a difficult relationship, where there's been stress or strain in your marriage, or maybe there's the painful years, pain where you've gone through physical pain or where pain through uh, just heartache. God can redeem those years. Pain of, of loss of a loved one or of a spouse or of a child or a family member or friend. God can redeem those years. Selfish years. Maybe some of you look back and go, man, I wish I would have been on a different path. I would have made different choices. I lived for myself year after year. Because when we come to faith, when we begin to see through the eyes of God and, 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 and how he, he guides our life, we might look back at regret and say, oh, I wish I could have done more. But God can redeem those years. He can create more opportunity for you and more love and more joy and more life for you in the time that you have left because he can redeem that time. And he can write a different story. What story are you writing with your life? And I can't share a, a message about story a message about changing trajectory of your life without talking about making a commitment to Christ. That the most important decision, life-changing decision, trajectory-changing decision is to fall at, on your knees before God and confess your sins to him and your life to him and just to say, God, here is my life. Take it. I want to live for you. I want to follow you. I need your guidance. You are the Lord of my life. I want you to lead me, to guide me. I want you to write the story. I want to be part of your story, the story that took you to the cross, that forgave my sins. That's the story that I want to be a part of. The God who took the grave and turned it into an empty tomb. 
The God who overcame death can redeem whatever parts of your story you're not proud of, the stories, the parts that you don't want to tell, and he can write something new and beautiful in your life. What story are you writing? Don't go into 2023 without this idea and this commitment that the Lord is with you as he was with Joseph in the ups and in the downs, but that you go and you walk with God. What story do you want to write? As you face those decisions, as you go through your life, as you go through this year, and you're faced with these moments, step back for a moment. And don't just think about the moment, but step back and say, what story do I want to tell? What story do I want to write? And I want to challenge us as a church, what story do we want to write together as a body? You know, we have a story we can write too, and, and, and I, I don't know what our story is going to be, but I know a story I don't want to write. A story I don't want to write is, you know, things in this world got pretty bad and, and uh, you know, people didn't really care about God anymore and morality was going a certain direction and, and people didn't seem to want to come to church, so we just started like, not really being that serious about our faith and, and we stopped kind of going to church and stopped investing in what was there and I didn't really want to serve and give anymore and less and less people came and, and pretty much there was just a few of us left and, and sadly we had to shut the doors to the church. Is that a story that we want to write? that a story you want to write? Nobody wants to write that story. But we can be people who write a different story, who say, I'm invested, and I'm committed, and I'm making it a priority, and we're drawing closer to God in a time like this. And we're realizing that more people need to know Jesus, not less, and that we need to be even more outspoken in, in, in who we are and to live that in a way that shows and demonstrates a beautiful community to the world. A message of hope, a message of healing, a message of restoration that says there is new life, that you can have a new beginning, that 2023 can be a new start for you and a, a life of freedom and of hope and of peace. And watch what God can do as we pour together and say, God, write a beautiful story through our church. Write a beautiful story through my life. But it begins with making good decisions one step, one day at a time. God, in this moment, I want to honor you. And I want to acknowledge that you are with me. You will never regret making your story become a part of God's story and rewriting history together with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this amazing story that we get to read about Joseph, a young man who could have made very different decisions, but yet the story is preserved to remind us of just your faithfulness and your goodness to take stories and turn them around, to give us hope and to remind us that you are there with us in the dark places, in the shadows, and even for Joseph's brothers, the opportunity that you redeemed and you restored through Joseph a wonderful relationship. Father, this morning as we're on the precipice here of this new year, if there are any in the sound of my voice, God, that don't know you, that don't have a relationship with you, that have never made a commitment to say, God, here is my life. May the story of their life change dramatically, radically today in this moment just to say, God, here is my life. I give it to you. Write a new story. Redeem and renew me in a fresh way. And Father, those that have been following you for years, may we be reminded again, God, that you're not done with us and that you can take the hurt and pain and the challenges that we've all faced God, that you go with us in this new year. Through the good, through the bad, you are with us and you are writing a beautiful story in our lives. And so God, we commit ourselves to you this morning. And Father, as a church, help us to write a beautiful story together. You've been writing an amazing story in this place for over 50 years. 
lives that have been changed and touched and transformed, people that have gone through these doors that are in this community and around this world serving you in different ways. God, we're so privileged to be a part of a church that seeks to follow you and to make you known in this world. Continue to move in us in this year, we pray. So Father, now we commit our hearts to you. God, we want to, to ground ourselves in you. We want to root ourselves in you. We want this year to be built on you in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.